0: A woman by the name of Crystal Mangum claimed she was raped by three Duke lacrosse players after stripping for them at an off-campus party. She made up the claim to avoid going to jail and losing her child and was aided in her deception by a district attorney hoping to get elected in the upcoming election. All three men were exonerated of all charges. A woman by the name of Jessica Gallagher met a man on a dating app. After he refused to give her a ride home, she told police he abducted, blindfolded, and raped her. She was charged with filing a false report. Three girls labeled the mean girls from Seneca High School claimed a male classmate sexually assaulted them and their friends. The HR backed up their claims. Three of the girls admitted they lied, but the boy had to leave the school after being bullied as a predator. One of the girls said she accused him simply because she didn't like him. I later uh, read an article back in 2018. There was an article by Casey Dillon that said this. In recent weeks, some activists have been pushing a believe-all-women narrative. This narrative not only ignores due process, but also reality. Sexual assaults do happen, but so do false accusations. Pointing out false accusations does not take away from supporting sexual assault survivors because false accusations devalue devalue actual incidents of sexual assaults. All women should be heard but not all women should be believed. Some women are more credible than others and that is fact. That is true today and that was true in the time of Joseph. For in the story we're going to read today it is about A woman who attempts to seduce a a virtuous young man. And we're going to see what happens as a result of this woman's claims of what Joseph did to her. You can't believe every story that we hear. Oftentimes, we hear stories in the media about a particular individual. And oftentimes we assume and think that a person is guilty before we hear all the facts. This story, again, in Genesis chapter 39, is about a woman's attempt to seduce a virtuous young man. What do I mean by seduce? The definition of seduce means to attract or lead someone away from proper behavior or thinking. And the term virtuous is having or showing high moral standards. Someone who is right or upright. So someone who seduces is someone who's trying to lure someone away from doing what is right and what is just and what is good, what is proper, what is appropriate. And so we look to Genesis chapter 39. The subject is about seduce, an attempt to seduce a virtuous young man. And the first point I want, to, uh, I want to stress, or what the scripture reveals to us, is this. Attempts to seduce a virtuous young man will often come after he has experienced some degree of success, prosperity, and blessing in his life. Read verses 1 through 7. I will stop at certain times as I read verses 1 through 7 to point things out. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Israelites who had taken him down there. The Lord, Yahweh, was with Joseph and he was a successful man and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Stop right there. Here we see that he is being So bought and sold as a slave usually when you are bought and sold as a slave like Joseph was you'd be working out in the field but here we see he is now being promoted into employment in the house of Potiphar so we see an elevation and a promotion of Joseph in that verse we continue verse 3 and his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight, Potiphar's sight, and served him. Stop right there. He's going now from serving within the house, Potiphar recognizes he's, he's successful in what he does, and so he promotes him now to be his personal attendant. You're seeing Joseph beginning to rise. We continue, then he, Potiphar, made Joseph overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority. Stop right there. You seeing once again, he's been promoted now to overseeing everything in Potiphar's house. You're seeing Joseph rise. He is successful. Verse 5, so it was. "...from the time that he had made Joseph overseer of his house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance." So Joseph, we see that After he ascends, not only is he, is he successful, but he's also the means by which other people were being blessed. For everything in Potiphar's house, God was blessing, and the result was Potiphar was being blessed. What you're seeing here is the Abrahamic covenant being coming into effect, where he said to Abraham, those who bless you, I will bless. That's happening right here. That's the result of the Abrahamic covenant. So not only is Joseph successful, but people around him are being blessed. Not only was he a blessing to other people, but he was also good-looking. He was blessed by God with his physical appearance. He was like his mom, Rachel, who was also described the same way. Now, after all of these things happen, read what happens in verse 7. After it came to pass, after these things, after what things? After he was prospering, after he was successful, after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, lie with me. After he had reached success and experienced a certain level of success, then the tempter comes and says, lie with me through this woman's seduction. It is success that is oftentimes the downfall of a person. For every 100 people, there's a saying, that can handle adversity successfully, you'll find one person who can handle success successfully. Whether it's because of pride, whether it's because of greed, or because of their being seduced by a woman. And that can go both ways, men and women, to each other. Success can often be the downfall of a person, In an interview with Rolling Stone magazine, Joe Walsh, who is the lead guitarist for the band Eagles, was asked to describe the worst part of success. He said, the worst part of success is that a lot of things come along with it that you didn't really know you were going to get in the package. There are distractions, there are money, drugs, women, partying. You get a royalty check, and you go get a new car, and then you party, and then you go and get high, and then you forget what got you there in the first place. It's all ego stuff. When you're, when you're young, it's real easy to lose your perspective, which I did, really, really losing sight of who I was. I started believing I was who everybody thought I was which was a crazy rock star. It took me away from working at my craft, and it was a real challenge to stay alive and end up on the other end of it. And a lot of people's success becomes their downfall. In this particular story, we see that attempts to seduce a virtuous young man will often come to pass after he has experienced some degree of success and prosperity in their life. That's when a man becomes most vulnerable. It happened with Joseph, and it still happens today. Secondly, attempts to seduce a virtuous young man will often involve persistent attempts by the woman to overcome his initial resistance to her advances, verses 8 to 10. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, "'My master does not know what is with me in the house, "'and he has committed all that he has to my hand. "'There is no one greater in this house than I, "'nor has he kept back anything from me but you, "'because you are his wife. "'How then can I do this great wickedness "'and sin against God?' "'And so it was, "'as she spoke to Joseph day by day,' Every day that he did not heed her to lie with beside her or to be with her. You see what happened? She changed her strategy. She said, Lie with me. He refuses for three reasons. He refuses, first of all, because it's an abuse of the great trust placed in him by Potiphar. He's a man that has been entrusted with great responsibility. To sleep with her would be undercutting all of that. He would no longer be faithful to Potiphar. He says, I can't do that. Secondly, he doesn't want to do it because it's an offense against her husband. And thirdly, he says, I can't do this because it's a great sin against God. I can't do that. And notice the term. It is not Yahweh the Lord. It's not the personal name for God that's being used here. It's the generic term for God, Elohim, Because he realizes he's speaking to someone who does not know his God. And that's evident by her values. She's willing to have an affair against her husband. But she changes her strategy. And she is trying to, day by day, just, well, maybe if if I'm just just around him. If I just, if just talk. As long as I'm in eyesight of him. Maybe if I just, we have conversation, it's strictly platonic perhaps his initial resistance will be broken down by her persistence. And oftentimes, affairs start that way, don't they? They start by they're innocent. Two people start talking. They don't mean to have an affair, but they have something in common. Before you know it, a relationship develops. And the next thing you know, you're past the point of no return. And you say, how in the world did I get here? How did this happen? Because you were having conversations and you were with someone that you shouldn't have been with. He said, I am not even going to be with her. I'm not going to do that. That's a subtle, subtle ploy by the enemy of our souls is to change strategies like that, to get people to Fall into temptation. Remember, it is God who has a plan for Joseph's life. And God's plans for Joseph's life is what? To save and redeem a people in Egypt. The enemy knows that. And he wants to seduce Joseph so he's no longer a man of integrity. If he can compromise his integrity, he can no longer have any influence in the world around him. Joseph knows that too. Attempts to seduce a virtuous young woman will often involve persistent attempts by the woman to overcome his initial resistance to her advances. That's what she does. Thirdly, attempts to seduce a virtuous young man will often include the telling of fabricated stories based on incriminating evidence when her advances have been rejected. Verses 11 to 16, but it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was inside, that she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. And so it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, that she called to the men of the house and spoke to them saying, see, he has brought into us, that is Potiphar my husband, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock me, to mock us. He came into me to lie with me. And I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out. That he left his garment with me. And he fled and went outside. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. The term garment is replete in that verse. It is saturated in those verses. It's mentioned at least five times. That's important what the author is putting emphasis on the garment. Because the garment is incriminating evidence. Notice what the author the narrator of the story says that Joseph went inside the home when no one was in the home. And she sees him and she attacks him. She grabbed the garment in her hand. And when she grabbed the garment, he goes outside. As soon as she sees that he goes outside, she calls to the men who were outside. Why does she do that? Because they met, there was no one in the house. All the men were outside. That's where Joseph goes. She realizes that if I don't say something, he may tell the, the guys outside his what really happened. She doesn't want to do that. So she's got to call the guys to tell, her, tell them her version of the story. She's got to make something up that's not true. She's got to tell, fabricate a story. So what does she do? She says, this is what happened. My husband, she didn't even say my husband, he the, brought in this Hebrew. She appeals to their sense of solidarity. You and us are Egyptians. He's a Hebrew. He's an outsider. He's a she's trying to make them like they're xenophobic, fear of someone who was different. So he. I want you to, you need to believe what I'm telling you because we're both Egyptians. Okay? My husband brought in this man, and he went to and he went to lie with me. That's what happened. And then I screamed and shouted. And when I screamed and shouted, he left outside and he left his garment by my side. Very, very important little descriptive change in her testimony. The author of the story says that she grabbed his garment in her hand when she tells the story she says that the garment was left by her side what does that imply the author is saying that when she grabbed his garment she took the initiative to rip his garment off when she tells the story she says the garment was left beside me because he took it off himself and tried to have his way with me and when I screamed he bolted outside leaving his garment there she had evidence in her hand in her possession she has to explain how it got there the narrator says, "Joseph ran outside, then she screamed. she says, she screamed, then Joseph ran outside. She is fabricating a story, and she's using she's using indisc, um, she's using uh, incriminating evidence to validate her false story. What do I mean by? incriminating evidence incriminating evidence is to make someone uh to incriminate someone is to make someone appear guilty of a crime or wrongdoing to strongly imply the guilt of someone so incriminating evidence is evidence that is being used to try to make it appear or show that this evidence was as she says it was it's, try to, it's trying to show evidence that joseph did something he did not do She's twisting the story, and she's using the evidence that she has, the garment, to make it it suggest that Joseph took off his garment and tried to have his way with her. This is what a seductress who is not honest will do. They will fabricate stories based on incriminating evidence. That's what some of the girls, some of the women in the introduction of the message did. Fabricate stories. Fourthly, attempts to seduce a virtuous young man will often result in public humiliation and shame for those wrongly accused of a crime. Verses 17 to 20. Then she spoke to him, that is her husband with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came into me to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me, that is near me, implying that he took it off himself to have his way with me. And then he fled outside. That's her testimony to her husband. And so it was when his master heard the words, Which his wife spoke to him saying, your servant did to me after this manner that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him, put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And there he was in prison. Potiphar's in a tough spot. Right? Do you believe her? He's in a tough spot. He's got to do something. Maybe he didn't believe her because he doesn't kill Joseph. He puts him in prison. Maybe he does so to try to find out more facts. We don't know. But it's interesting that a commentary I read by uh, Professor John Walton He says, Potiphar is in a difficult position here. He cannot discount his wife's accusation without publicly humiliating her, even if he was certain she was lying. The action he takes against Joseph is as minimal as it can be and still retain his family's honor and reputation. He's got to do something. So what's he going to do? He's going to ruin Joseph's reputation by putting him in prison. I can see it now. Before, when he was working out in the fields, when he first was bought by Potiphar and some of the people he used to work with after he was promoted to work in Potiphar's house, I can see some people he used to work with out in the fields talking about this scandal. And it is a scandal. You can hear people talking about this out in the fields. Hey, did you hear what happened to Joseph? Joseph? What happened in Potiphar's home? Did you hear about that? This guy was promoted by Potiphar and he ended up going after his wife. Do you believe that? They have him in prison now because of it. Do you think he's guilty or innocent? Oh, there's no doubt he did it. Because after all, where there's smoke, there's fire, right? In the court of public opinion, when stuff like this comes out, we automatically assume, guilty, Without knowing all the evidence, without having all the evidence, and without knowing all the facts. I know if I was to be thrown in prison because someone made a, an allegation to me, there are gonna be people in this society, in this world, who will automatically assume because he's a pastor, because he's single, he's guilty. Without knowing all the facts. We're a society that does that. We're quick to judge without having all the information. And Joseph's reputation is now in the eyes of the public has been tarnished just because he was put in prison because he was falsely accused by some woman who had a different agenda. That happens today. Attempts to seduce a virtuous young man will often result in public humiliation and shame for those wrongfully accused of a crime. Fifthly, attempts to seduce a virtuous young man will not prevent him from prospering in adverse or unfavorable circumstances because the Lord will still be with him. That's the point. Read verses 21 to 23. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. And whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority. Why? Because the Lord was with Joseph, and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Isn't that something? In the mind of public opinion, he may have been considered guilty because of these accusations. But the Lord knew what happened. There were only three people who knew what happened. It was Potiphar's wife, it was Joseph, and it was the Lord. And Joseph knew that his God knew what actually happened. And we know that he was with him, the Lord was, because he prospered in adverse circumstances, in unwelcome circumstances. God was still with him. The public may have had one view of him. The Lord had a different view of him, and it's the Lord's uh, estimation of us is what matters, not people out there. It is the Lord Jesus who is going to judge you and me. I'm not judging you, or I'm not judging you. You're not judging me. We're not judging each other. So if you are ever accused of something, a, a co-worker says something to you or about you, rumors. It doesn't matter if you know what happened is true and those accusations are false. All we need to keep in mind is the only person's judgment and, 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 and opinion that we're, we should be concerned about is Jesus, who sees it all. And I have no doubt that's what's going to get Joseph through this, is that he knows that his God is with him and never left him, even though the world may have said, Guilty. I'm reminded that in the court of public opinion, Jesus was considered guilty. Remember that it was the crowd that chanted, crucify him, crucify him, he's guilty. But God had a different view of things. For he would later vindicate his son through the resurrection, the event The resurrection of Jesus Christ should remind us that it is God's judgment of us, it is his estimation of us, that ultimately matters, not the judgment of public opinion, who more times than not do not have all the facts. The main idea of this entire chapter is this. Attempts to seduce a virtuous young man will not prevent him from prospering in adverse circumstances because the Lord will still be with him in those circumstances and will bless you in spite of it. That's what happened to Joseph. That's what will happen to you and to me. God is faithful and he knows the truth And we can trust in him in the difficult times when people may have opinions and views of us that are not accurate. That's the whole point of that chapter. I want to close with three applications. I want you to realize that Joseph was a successful man. He was a successful person while he was in Potiphar's home. He was a successful person while he was in the prison. But what was most astonishing to me and most impressive to me is that he was successful in overcoming sexual temptation. How did he do it? Joseph was in a land that was not his own. He was in Egypt, away from his home. We as Christians are followers of Jesus in a place, in a land that is not our true home. So how Joseph is able to be successful in overcoming sexual temptation in a land that is not his true home is an example for us and sets a model for us how we too can overcome sexual temptation in a land that is not our true home. This world, how does he do it? Three things. Number one, Joseph was successful in overcoming sexual temptation because he was a man of conviction regarding sexual ethics before the temptation came. you got to know what you believe and be firmly fixed in your convictions because sitting in the back seat of a steamy automobile is not the place to decide what do I believe in this situation because I guarantee you we're going to make the wrong choice because our passions are too strong and we're going to do what comes natural to us. And we'll begin to rationalize sexual infidelity, sexual inappropriate action, right? The reason why Joseph was successful was because he had learned back home from his dad what ought to be done, what ought not to be done. And when the temptation came, he knew what to say. He knew what to do. And too many people don't have their... Foundation, they're not firmly fixed on their foundation. They're not firmly convicted of what they believe. And when that happens, you may very well fall into temptation. Joseph was able to have victory over that because he was, he was firm in his convictions before the temptation came. Secondly, Joseph was successful in overcoming sexual temptation because he set appropriate boundaries. He knew that he was not to be near this woman, not even to be seen with her, to have an innocent conversation with her. He knew he was playing with fire, so he would not be near her or even be with her. He was setting appropriate boundaries. And when boundaries are crossed, you're playing with fire. Keep safe, appropriate boundaries, whatever they may be in your life, and don't cross them. If you set appropriate boundaries... Some people may get upset with those boundaries. You know what? Who cares? So what? If it's going to keep you from sinning against our Lord and maintain your integrity, do it. You do it. Jesus says, if your right arm causes you to sin, you cut it off. If your your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. For it is better for you to enter into the kingdom of heaven with one eye and one arm than to have both and be cast into eternal damnation and he's speaking in hyperbolic language. He's saying, well, do whatever you gotta do to keep yourself from sinning. If that means setting appropriate boundaries, that's exactly what you do. If that means you gotta run away from the temptation, that's exactly what you do, and that leads me to my third point. Joseph was successful in overcoming sexual temptation because he ran away from the temptation. He didn't play with it. He got out of there and took off. He fled outside. Whether he was half naked or didn't matter, he got out there. He knew that he was not strong enough to overcome and deal with sexual temptation. He didn't reason in his mind, I have too much faith for me to fall. No, as soon as you do that, therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Right? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So we don't want to think that way. Get out of the situation. The apostle Paul says as much to his young to, to young Timothy when he writes to him in 2 Timothy 2:22 flee youthful lusts. He would later write in 1 Corinthians 6:18 flee sexual immorality. So if you want to overcome sexual temptation, overcome them. Be strong in your convictions. Set appropriate boundaries and get out of dodge when you have to get out of dodge. If you do that, you won't compromise your integrity for a God who wants to use you in this world. That doesn't mean that accusations won't come. They still may. But as long as we know we're walking with God, he knows the truth, that should give you confidence and assurance that he's got my back. And though he allowed him to go to prison, God was with him in prison. And you're better off in prison with God being beside you than being outside a free man without God at all. Isn't that true? This is the story of Joseph, chapter 39, a scandal but radically different from Judah as we saw last week. Judah was guilty, Joseph was not. Joseph was in a scandal, but he was innocent. May the comfort and the knowledge of God's presence be with you. If God forbid anything like that ever happens to you, know that God is with you and will make you prosperous no matter what circumstance, adversely, that you may find yourself in. He will not abandon you because he is faithful. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Joseph story. It's a powerful message that you will always be with us no matter what happens. We live in a fallen, broken world and the tempter will do whatever he can to try to try to get us off the straight and narrow path that you have for us. To try to minimize our influence in the world for you. Oh Lord God, lead us not into temptation. but deliver us from the evil one. And if we are ever falsely accused or in adverse circumstances because of what others have done and we're innocent, we know that you're going to be with us and you're going to make us prosper. We love you and we thank you and we pray lord that we will be sexually pure for you showing that we are committed to you above all else and above everyone else may your glory and may your power may your truth reside in us so that people can see it and be drawn to you the light of the world like a moth to a lamp so that they may be saved and be used by you in this world to glorify your name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing song this morning is Be Still My Soul. Would you please stand if you are able?
1: Be still, my soul.
0: be still my soul that is something we need to communicate to our own selves in difficult times be still even in adverse circumstances even if someone is accusing you of falsely be still Jesus says I'm still with you I'm still with you I'm not leaving you I will prosper you I will make your way successful I did not abandon you. Yes, the world may say things about you. They may think things about you because they're hearing things about you that may not be accurate. But I know the truth. All you need to know is that I know. Fear me and know that I am God. Receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Go in peace. Amen.